As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderveen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Hey, this is a Kick Aspirational Podcast where we're not afraid to fail. Um, <laughs> with Di Manuel today, we uh, we actually had a false start. We're restarting. It's not the first time I've done this, by the way, Di. Sorry, sorry that you had to participate in one. But I love, um, it. I love it. No, I, you, you know. Um, Di, we've, we've had some conversations going. This is really fun. But uh, I'd like you to help this audience understand who you are and where you've come from. You've had an amazing history in business and in, you know, at a sea level. You've done some, you've traveled around the world. Tell us uh, who you are, what you're doing now, and, and how'd, you, how'd you get here? Whew. Well, that's a small question. Uh, <laughs> so I'll try to give it a smallish answer. No, you know, David, thank you for, for the question. I, I, you know, first and foremost, I, I'm on my 45th lap around the sun right now. Oh, wow. And uh, so being 45 years young, as I will still uh, maintain to the day I die, I'll always be young. And because uh, I'm a big fan, and hopefully we'll talk about this today, you know, longevity and vitality. I'm all mm. about those two things in unison, <laughs> not one or the other, right? Yeah. And I believe everybody can have both, but we'll, we'll shelf that for later. But, uh, you know, I, I'm first and foremost a dad, all right? I'm a dad of two teenage girls. They're they're soon to be, oh my goodness, 19 and 17. Wow. It's a bit younger than your kids, but on the cusp. Yeah. no less telling me that they're still adults, you know, and <laughs> wanting to be treated as such and reminding me of things that I don't know every day, but it, you know, they, they do it in a very loving way and, and I'm so grateful for them. And, uh, so awesome. next to that title, you know, my second most important title, uh, but depends on when you ask me, it's, it will often be positioned as the number one thing, um, is I've been dating my wife for 22 years. And, and I do consciously use the term dating. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll chat about that in a bit as well. But in those 22 years, it's been anything but uh, a straight line. <laughs> we, we've experienced a lot of struggles, but we've had some amazing experiences. And, and we've worked through some really hard things together. And, and in that process, you know, we've, we've had a, a beautiful life and, and I still feel like it's just getting started. Um, and then six years ago, I left a corporate career uh, as a co-founder of an existing retail company here in Canada. And, uh, you know, it, we were doing really well. I was at, definitely at the peak of my industry after 17 years. But I'll tell you, my heart wasn't in it anymore. I just I wasn't feeling fulfilled from the work, wasn't feeling a lot of joy every day, mm. nor happiness. And I knew after acknowledging that in the mirror every morning for a, quite a while, <laughs> over a year, I was like, okay, I got to give my head a shake and, and make some changes. And uh, fortunately for me, I had a wife that was very supporting of that. And, and since then, you know, the last six years, it's been involving a lot of travel and connecting with communities and just helping people get out of their own way, you know, through coaching, mentorship and, and education in a fun way. So uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of the high level anyways for now. Oh, that's amazing. There's a lot of, a lot of meat in there. I like the, yeah, yeah. Well, you, 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 on this podcast, we talk a lot about helping people, you know, break through barriers in their own life. I love how you talked about, you know, getting out of your own way. And I think that there's a focus right now with, you know, coming out of this era of COVID, hopefully knock on wood, as we step into, you know, war again. Um, we were just talking about that a second ago, you know, what's happening in Ukraine and, and some of the difficulties and, and what that means for us. We don't even know it just started today. So 
Um, well, I'm sure by the time this airs, we'll have more visibility and clarity. Mm-hmm. But um, but it, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in life in general, not just uh, because of Ukraine, not just because of you know pandemics that we hit. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot about is how do you restart? How do you move mm-hmm. past failure? How do you how do you find the things that will give you deep joy? You know, um, I think people confuse happiness and joy a lot. Um, you know, fulfillment, things like that. And it sounds like you've you've been digging deep. And I know from reading about you that you've dug deep and, and restarted your life a number of times. So I hope we get to touch on some of those things. Um, you had a big shakeup in your life where you were, like you talked about, you were at the peak of your career. You had achieved the pinnacles of business success in many ways. Uh, you're a founder and you're a C-level. You're, what was your title? You're, you're chief CEO CEO and CMO. So okay. uh, I was sort of juggling those two two hats most of the time. And uh, but, you know, like anything uh, with small to mid-sized business, you you end up wearing a lot of hats. Uh, so sales trainer and coach and, and often sales guy, you know, like if I was in a store and somebody came in, I'm like, I'm here to help them. So, sure, uh, you know, get in my way, guys. I'll show you how this is done. <laughs> you know, lead, like, <laughs> lead from the front. Lead from the front. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So why did you, why did you choose to leave? You know, what uh, was obviously a successful business and, you know, you'd accomplished all the titles and, and, and founding something, be it being a founder is a huge thing. Um, why didn't, why did you choose to leave that? And you moved your family to other parts of the world, right? Well, yes. And yeah, I, I guess, you know, things started to shift my perspective in my own life shifted. You know, a lot of us find ourselves on a path and a lot of time we like to think that we're on the path because we chose to be on it. And and I honestly believe we at least get started on paths, but sometimes the path, it becomes very well traveled, you know, (laughs) to the point that there's a rut there and getting out of the rut sometimes isn't as easy as it was getting in. Right. I found myself feeling like I was in a rut. Mm. And, but it only happened after I recognized that I was going through a lot of hard stuff just personally. Mm. And I used to be really good at separating those things, you know, to the point where often what would happen in my personal life wouldn't interfere in my professional life. But when the two started to, to, to really not only co-mingle, but more so the personal life was starting to affect my professional life in a big way. I, I really was faced with making some hard choices. And what I mean by this is this is just over 12 years ago. Um, I, I had a habit, David, and I'll be perfectly honest with you and those that are listening and watching this, you know, I, I, I learned to manage stress and anxiety with alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that was my choice. Like I would drink at the end sure. of the day. I like, that was my reward. Right. It was my way of unplugging, relaxing, right signaling the day is over job well done um but it wasn't ever just one glass of wine you know it was half a bottle a bottle you know like it was it was me by taking people out after work and offering to buy the extra rounds because if i bought them around it meant i could have another drink right you know and and being the one that was perceived as the boss it's i had that influence sure it was really easy to do and no one would question my actions and everyone enjoys it. So, yeah. Hey, well, they do in the moment, right? And until yeah. they don't. <laughs> until it's too much. Yeah, yeah. Until it's too much, right? And and it got just out of control. It got to the point where, you know, this, this personal life now was actually happening during the professional time and vice versa. Like the two were just there. And it was affecting my relationships at home, yeah. especially with my kids. Both kids were under the age of six at the time. 
my wife and I, you know, we had been together at this point about 10 years. Mm. So there's a lot of history there. Uh, right. We, we, we have, we're building a family, a, a life together. Right. And, but it's not what she signed up for. Yeah. You started bringing another person home, which was, which was right. The person yeah. under the influence. Well, and I think, unfortunately, the, the main thing was David, it was actually the, my normal person, the person that uh, Christy fell in love with, he was showing up less and less. Yeah. And, you know, it's really weird because people say, well, weren't you aware of what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, I was. I was mm. fully aware. I'd be the one there hitting. Oh, oh, Christy's calling me on my phone. I'd be at the bar with my buddies. I'd be like, well, mute. <laughs> you know, you do the yeah. hang up. Don't answer now. Yeah. And uh, I would often turn my phone off and say, oh, the battery died. You know, like I was just like, just these silly things. Like really, when I look at it back, I'm like, what was I like 17, like 18, 19 years old? Like, what am I doing? You know, like I'm a guy that was newly in his early thirties. And, but this was just my normal. Yeah. And and it got to a place and I won't go into the whole story. I actually did a TEDx talk last spring where I shared this story and I talked about vulnerability in men specifically, because it, it took me getting to a place where all of a sudden I started to challenge that term vulnerability in my relationship with being vulnerable, mm. my, my relationship with being able to ask for help. Right. Cause that wasn't easy, nor did it ever come naturally to me. And it's, it's a skill that I rarely if ever practiced because I thought that by asking for help would show that I was less than. I was, I was going to ask if it was a, yeah. a combination of, of yeah. ego trying to protect the things, the, you know, the crutches and the things that you were kind of finding happiness from in the moment. Spot on. Yeah. It's spot on, David. That's exactly what it was, you know? And uh, I, I got to this place and, and it was just the normal. And my wife got to a place where she was done. Yeah. Like it wasn't willing to accept my apologies. Wasn't willing to, to put up with the three weeks of bliss that would happen after an all nighter. Cause I'd come home guilty, feeling shameful, not often remembering how I even got home. Um, but I would always make that promise to her. Oh, I won't do that again. Yeah. And I'd be this excellent person. What I thought was a great man for about three weeks until all of a sudden I'd feel like, Oh, I've earned myself a night out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? another and, one. Yeah. Yeah. And then it happened again. Right. And, and, you know, this cycle can only go on for so long. And to, to be fair, my wife put up with it then a lot longer than I think most women would have. Mm. And and I applaud her for that because she saw something in me that I was not seeing in myself and she was willing to fight for it. And I thank goodness, you know, like they would honestly would us be having this conversation today. If I didn't have my wife in my life and her challenge me on this I, in my heart of hearts, I'd have to say no. Wow. You know, and, and I don't know where life would have been now 12 years later, had I not made that decision. And, and it actually boiled down to one question. Right. I was going to ask what was the thing that, cause that's a big yeah, shift. That's a it's you know, yeah. pretty big. Yeah, she asked me a question and this is after us discussing what life is going to look like us separating and co-parenting what that could look like. So it literally got to that point where now it's like, she's not willing to, to, to have any more of this. That's what, what, this is what life's going to look like. Let's right. figure out a way to do this in a way that, you know, we can do this so the kids aren't hurt. Right. Right. <laughs> but, you know, they're going to be hurt no matter what, but we weren't wanting to mitigate that and, and show that we can do this in a, in a, in a constructive way, in a positive way. I mean, that's just my wife. She's always like going to try to figure out how to do it the most positive way. So it doesn't impact people too negatively. And uh, wow. she's always putting everybody else's needs before her own. Right. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so that's another conversation, but <laughs> so here it is. And we're at this table and, you know, we've been shedding tears, <clears throat> both of us sobbing on and off. And um, she looks at me and she's die. 
Are you being the type of man that you'd want your daughters to marry? Wow. I don't know what it was, David, but that question at that moment, based on what I was feeling and what I'd just gone through and that sort of a culmination of, you know, 31, almost 32 years at that point. And I was just like, no, I'm not because, and this is what I was thinking internally. Cause I was like, I, I, right now the, the kind of guy that I am, the salesperson in me wants to sell her on. I am, right. you know, I want to tell her, yes, I am. And this is how I show up as that. But at that moment, I was brutally honest with myself mm. and I couldn't answer. Yes. In fact, wow. I knew that if a guy like me at that time showed up and wanted to treat my daughters the way that I was showing up for my wife and my family, I would not put up with that for a second, right. not even a, a second yet. That's who I was role modeling. Right. And that was this epiphany, right? This, this moment of clarity where all of a sudden I was like, holy smokes, how did I let things get this far? Right. This is the point where you said enough. I did. I said enough. And what it started as was just a one-year commitment. Uh, you know, because I've done little periods where I've done like a cleanse for 30 days and didn't drink alcohol, right? Or I've done a three-month, you know, term, no drinking. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do one year without alcohol. I'm going to remove that crutch wow. and see what life can be like without it for a year. Sure. And he, as I'm sort of playing on the analogy that you shared earlier, the metaphor of a crutch. Um, I, I learned pretty quickly, David, after I removed the alcohol, that I some pretty nasty, uh, well, let's call it a limp. All right. Like <laughs> I, I could not walk properly. I, wow. it was crazy. Cause I didn't have any healthier ways of dealing with the stress and the anxiety. Cause they were still there. Yeah. I still had these certain feelings and these self beliefs that hadn't been challenged, nor had I learned a healthier way of dealing with it. And, uh, so, so you know, just so I'm yeah, clear, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so did you have a physical, like physical disability that happened because of this? Or what, what well, do you mean you couldn't walk properly? Or tell well, me about what I mean by that. Where you should, yeah. the metaphor here from the standpoint is <clears throat> as soon as I removed my crutches, which was for me, alcohol. Yeah. I realized that I had a pretty nasty limp from the standpoint I couldn't function properly. Right. I, I was limited in just how I was showing up. My energy wasn't the same. I felt I, I just I, I felt lost, to be honest. You know, I just I didn't really feel sure of myself anymore. What was the and reason? Because that was your reward, right? That was that your reward. was my reward. But yeah. it was more than just a reward. It was the justification, you know, right. that I would use to, to validate my drinking. Right, right. You know, I would justify, well, I deserve this. Look, Christy, I support our family. Sure. You know, my income provides the life that you guys have. Right. You know, like this is how I, you know, this, this is how I reward myself. This is, I deserve this. I, I, you know, like that's this the is my right. I would take. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like crazy. Right. Like yeah. now when I look back on, it, I'm like, well, what was I thinking? And and the problem <laughs> was, is I, I don't think I was really thinking I was just feeling right. right like I was, right. that's what I honestly felt. And, uh, you know, after she asked me that question, I made that one year commitment to her and my kids, like right then and there, sat them all on the couch. And I was like, you know, daddy's going to go one year without drinking. Yeah. And then my kids are looking up my, my uh, eldest at the time, she had a, uh, an eye stigma. So she had these really heavy prescription glasses on. So, you know, like the Coke bottle prescription glasses, right. And these big blue eyes looking up at me and she's like, oh, okay. So no pop. <laughs> and coffee. And I, so in her mind, she's just thinking like this. And I'm like, no, no, no. no, no, no drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so it, it was fun because, you know, even at that moment of all seriousness, it, there was some brevity, you know, there's some lightness to it. And, uh, and it was beautiful because it just reminded me of the, not only the naivete of kids, but also just that innocence, right? Like they're just, because they never saw me as anything other than their dad, their superhero. 
Yeah. Because they were young enough to not have any other beliefs around me. So it was kind of exciting at the same time, recognizing that, okay, there's a clean slate in front of me. What do I want to make of it? But I learned very quickly within the, the first six to eight weeks, it, it was really, 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 really hard. Right. Like, it was hard. Like I couldn't go out socially because my social awkwardness. And when I say social awkwardness, I, I, I just learned how to function right. as someone that would deal with, with anxiety and being large groups. I learned to deal with that with alcohol at right. an early age, like at 18 years old, I learned that if I had to take down drinks, the social barriers, it, did. Yeah. it would, and it would, I could open up to anybody. I could have a conversation. And uh, so all of a sudden now I've got rid of that crutch. I've made this commitment to go a year. I'm going to, I'm doing this commitment. I'm the kind of guy that if I make my mind up on something, I'm very good at sticking to it. And, wow. So you didn't, but, did, so did you join like AA or do anything like that? Well, or just kind of, okay, I, I appreciate yeah. you asking that because I do get asked that question. And, and uh, I did try the, the step program. Yeah, I, I made it to about three, four meetings, maybe it might have been three, three or four meetings. And I just I, I really had a hard time with the first rule, you know, like admitting that I am powerless mm. against this thing called alcohol. Like it's basically admitting and, and owning a label. Right. And I've never been someone to attach labels. Right. You know, like especially to myself, because I always find that so limiting. Right. Like it's sure. instant judgment. This is who I am. Right. And as such, I now have to live the rest of my life a certain way. And I, I didn't like that prescription. You sure. Know, like I found it was way too prescriptive for my liking. And it removed a lot of my free thought, you know, like the freedom model specifically, you know, this idea of like. Well, and, and you you got to the point of not drinking for different reasons than people who maybe have mm-hmm. to join AA, right? Where yeah. this was less of a, not that you didn't have some probably addiction issues, but it was more about. You, you you came to this without having to hit like full rock bottom like some people do where the whole life is gone and then they're like okay i guess i have to get rid of alcohol now you you basically were like yeah, it's not making me a better person this isn't making me the husband i want to be um is that am i getting this right or, or how you, you, you are you? david and it, no thank you for filling in the blanks there because it, it's very much that way like I, i've always had that question what, what like i do i what's it mean to be a great man what's it mean to be a great father what's it mean to be a great husband you know now again I, I, please recognize i'm a male who identifies as male mm. <laughs> you know yeah, and, yeah, and so I, I i'm using some of these terms and i recognize not everyone's going to relate to those but you know pick whatever's more specific to your own gender and go with that but <laughs> what i'm saying is like yeah that, that's who I was. That's how I was showing up. And I always knew that I wasn't showing up as my best self. Like I, always, I already knew that, but I was get, allowing myself to get off. Like I, I would give myself an exit, right? A, a back door, so to speak, to, to say, oh, it's okay. I can try again tomorrow. And, but yet for tonight, I'll have a couple of drinks. And, and so there was just this weird sort of mental play. And, and you know what? To be fair, I needed help. Yeah. I needed to figure out some of my past behaviors and beliefs why were they so firmly rooted in my mind sure you had to get rid of the crutch in order to find your legs again right i mean that's I and i found a great psychiatrist I, I have no shame in talking about this you know i found a psychiatrist worked with him for six months found a relationships counselor that my wife and i went to and after our first visit she's like you know christy i think die should come back on his own <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so i i went back on my own and and worked with her for three or four months and and then i just got to work i i just really started to to assess who was my association mm. you know because the biggest thing is if you can't change the people around you just change the people around you you know yeah, like yeah, and that's yeah. what i literally did i had to change all my association and i think that was the most challenging part because a lot of people that i thought were my friends yeah when all of a sudden no i'm not going to show up for golf or i will show up for golf but i'm not hanging out for the 19th 
you know, mm. or, oh yeah, there's a hockey game tonight. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll come. I'm drinking water. And they're like, water, you know, like it just even get invited to the pub to watch UFC with the guys. Yeah. You know, like that became now awkward because I'd be there. I was longing for communications, for conversation. Sure. Because I'm stone cold sober. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yet, yeah. you know, two, three rounds in, we're not on the same wavelength anymore. No. Yeah. And, and in fact, I found that people didn't want to have the conversations that I felt that I wanted to have. Right. I was longing for connection. Right. And they're trying to escape. Men. Yeah. And they're trying to escape yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And, and, and I, you know, to be fair, I, if I look at my own life, especially in my twenties and my late teens, like I didn't have any really strong, positive real male role models. Hmm. I didn't, you know, like I, when I think back on it, a lot of the behaviors that I learned were reinforced through the people I was hanging out with that sure. it was, it was normalized. Right. So I didn't know anything other than that, other than at times I'd be like, ah, I don't think I should act like this around women. Especially right. when I became a father with daughters, I started to really question some of my chauvinistic ways, you know, right, like, right, right. and then there were subtle things. Like I was, my mom raised my brother and I, you know, like, listen, I, I, I'm all for equality, but I wasn't always acting like that. Right. You know, like, so, you know, just a lot of these moments that just, just, yeah, there's shame. There's a little bit of regret around it, but I'm like, you know what? I can't be that way to move forward. I can't constantly sit and think, oh man, that was a dumb move. I made when I was such an idiot or, you know, like I, it's really easy to get caught up in all the woulda, shoulda, couldas. Right. And uh, I, I had to really work hard to move past that, to, to accept that. Okay. Who I am now is not, you know, predetermined based on everything that I've already experienced to this point. And you made a lot of big changes far beyond the drink. I mean, the drinking maybe was like kind of a touch point or a, uh, well, you know, it was the reason why I ended up leaving my career just, just right. because the changes that I went through, especially in those first 12 months of giving up alcohol, like it, it was like a veil had been lifted. It touched off. Cliche. a whole, Yeah, yeah, exactly. It did. It really, it got me excited about a different path, right? And this path of self-development because I'd been so focused on professional development, right? right Anything right. that's at self-help, right? <laughs> I'm like, I often, I don't know if you've ever seen the George Scar Carlin stand-up bit about self-help, but no, uh, I haven't, no. it's, it's pretty funny. If you look at it on YouTube, you guys will get a yeah. laugh out of it, but only because I, I'm into self-help. I am okay. And self-development, but George Carlin has this huge bit talking about self-help. It's like, well, if it's self-help, you should be able to do it on your own. You know, why are these other yeah. people involved? Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. And it, it, it's actually really funny, but um only because I also work in that space now, that industry. Sure. So it's like, it's very funny now. And, uh, but, you know, here I was and I just embraced that I don't know much, but I want to know more, mm. but I also want to have a great life. Well, what does great life mean to me? Right. So, it, you know, just every time I think I have an answer to a question, I actually have three more questions pop up. Sure. <laughs> but it's exciting because I had a clear mind. My yeah. energy had returned. And so after that year, and just to sort of, you know, close the loop on this, we can keep moving forward. Like I basically got to the point, I was like, you know what? I like what I'm experiencing right now. What if I just keep going down this path? What if I don't reintroduce alcohol? And, you know, it's over 12 years now. Like since I've had a drink and I, I don't miss it. I don't think about it. Like I can be out socially with people. Like it just, I've changed so sure. much in right. the last 12 years, but it wasn't by accident. It's just sure. like me doing things a little bit differently and repeating, of course, you know, of course. So, yeah. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of this, that's a bit, you know, it's a popular trend right now too. Not, not just for people who are, you know, in, in AA, but for a lot of people just saying, 
and maybe I'm, maybe I'm better with that alcohol, you know, or maybe the amount of alcohol I've been drinking has been too much. I'm just going to, I'm actually going to limit myself to one or two yes. drinks, which to your point, I mean, this, that's a joke in our houses, you know, I'm going to go to the bar for one drink. Well, that's, that's, that's not, you know, I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of the world. Um, <laughs> it's like going to Costco for one thing. Yeah, exactly. You got to pick up one thing. You got to get one thing. Yeah. You come out with yeah, a shopping cart. dollars later. I'm like, what yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> no. So, but, but I think, you know, it sounds to me like, and, and I'd like to repeat back what I'm hearing. Sure. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not asking you to just validate things that I say, yeah, yeah. but you know, it sounds to me like you had, a lot of things going on in your life that were not going horribly wrong. A lot of things seemed like they were going perfectly right. You you had the good life for a lot of people. You had one thing that was like a thorn in your side that you had to pull out. And once you pulled that out, you're like, oh, wait, there might be some other things here. Do you think that, I guess where this is heading for me, like in terms of my thought process, I think there's a big difference between happiness and joy, right? Like yes. deep joy, like happiness. Like I, I really like surfing, skiing, snowboarding, you know, free dive. There's a lot of things I, I enjoy I, that, that I find happiness in, yeah. but I've also realized that they don't really give me deep joy. You know, like, mm-hmm. like they're, they're nice. They're fun. I, I like it versus like, you know, in the business that I'm in, you know, we also help people really kind of transform their lives when they, when they work well, when we work, work well together. And seeing people go from a life that's been defined by somebody else, you know, here's what we'll pay you. Here's the job options we have. Here's the thing you can do if you want to work with us versus when somebody says, I think maybe I'll just create the life that I want. Maybe I'll choose myself. Um, And you see that that people finally start to wake up and they're like, whoa, I can do that. I can. Maybe it's a baby step. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm going to I'm going to start to decide that, you know, for you, I'm not going to drink for somebody else. Maybe I'm going to stop showing up in a full-time job. I'm, I'm going to have a side hustle that takes care of me. So I don't have to grind it out every day, whatever those things are, but they start to realize they can create the life they want. Um, and it's a, where their passions and their, you know, what they're good at and where they can make some money kind of come together where those three things sort of overlap. I think that purpose gives people much deeper joy than, you know, checking the box on the career path or, Hey, I've got more money in the bank account or, you know, really, really hammered that happy hour tonight. And, you know, uh, had some fun there. <laughs> Do you have thoughts on that happiness, deep joy? And, and were you, or, 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 or was there something else that was driving you to unpack kind of the life you had built versus the life you thought maybe was out there outside of it? No, I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, David, especially, you know, like this, this differential differentiation between joy and happiness. Happiness often happens. It's what we experience in the moment of doing something. Sure. That nothing wrong with that it. emotion. Yeah. No, nothing wrong with that. And I believe everyone's entitled to a lot of happiness okay, <laughs> more, in life. More I, I please. Really, <laughs> yes, yes. Because I think it's our birthright, you know, sure. really, to, to be happy. And yeah, it sounds like a cliche or a Hallmark card, but I, I just, I believe it to be true, you know, right. but but here's this thing we, we are going to be, you know, to sort of riff on Buddha. Like he, he often says the point of life is, is not just the suffering, but it's actually learning how to <laughs> detach from the suffering, right? Not, not, right. not take it beyond the moment that it happens. But uh, I, I appreciate some of those teachings, but I was not open to that way of thinking or that perspective. And I found that the easiest way to sort of change our belief systems is, is shifting our perspective or at least the inputs, Hmm. What is influencing our perspective right now? And so back to your question, you know, this happiness and joy conversation or fulfillment. Uh, I remember my perspective being shifted when I read uh, about the hero's journey. Yeah. 
And, Joseph Campbell uh, and yeah, Joseph Campbell, Power of Myth, yeah. meta narrative, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. So Power of Myth. If anyone's had an opportunity to check it out, check it out. There's an old thing from the '80s, like an old CBC series of uh, interviews with him. Actually, yeah. it's like a six part mini series, and it's it's very good as well. If you don't want to read the book, but uh, all available on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it is very, right. It's and very famous there. Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, but when I really dove into some of his teachings, especially the historic representation of stories in our lives and our development culturally, but also as species you start to realize that you know there's there's patterns here and these sure. patterns are, are very closely related to the patterns that we just live in life so as much as they talk about these elaborate stories about a dragon in the cave you know like it, it, it's a metaphor for what we all deal with you know those challenges sure. those moments and uh but the cool thing is is he always talks about this this awareness of choosing to follow a path in life right that allows us to maximize our opportunity for happiness joy and fulfillment Right. And I love that, you know, and he calls it following your bliss. Yeah. But it's a conscious effort, right? Like we do consciously choose what we do, what we read, who we engage with, the experiences that we have. And that's sort of back to that idea of that reverse engineering from the life that you want, you know? So I often think like, I want to be a great man. Okay. What does that even mean? Right. I'll start thinking, what are some of the qualities or values that I believe a great man will have? And I'm like, well, these are values that are important to me. Somebody else might not be the same value to them. So you really have to take the perspective and rather than looking external for all the answers, you got to start looking inside. Sure. And I didn't get that. Okay. I was the kind of guy, give me another business book, please. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. It's all this conversation. I'd be the guy that would, you know, basically just turn a blind eye to it, be that ignorant person that'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, like just, and it was so weird that I was so defensive. Well, right. And when, by the way, where, you know, I think I'm guessing, Getting from some from what you're saying, you know, look, the out the exterior world is very concrete. The exterior yeah. world you can touch, you can feel, you can charge, a, you can put a price tag on it, you can sell it, somebody's gonna buy it, right? It's all very, it's it's very quantifiable. The right. interior space, mm. the inside, you know, where is that? What is it? It's very abstract, right? And and I think, you know, you, I love the meta-narrative, this whole idea that, you know, which yeah. I think is fairly well proven that, you know, there's basically one story we all tell, more or less. That's right. Every people group, whether they lived in the desert for as long as they've known or have lived on coastlines have a have a flood narrative social anthropologists don't really understand why outside of it seems to be encoded in our dna but the story we all tell is basically the same story that's in every disney movie you know it's it's the hero's yeah. journey it's people getting safe in the village getting knocked off track having to discover this much bigger self than they thought was capable by to your point slaying the dragon in the cave getting out there following their bliss and when they come yes. back to the village it seems like the village changed but really they've been transformed. They've turned into something, a, a hero, somebody, That's something right. totally different. But this is the cool part. And what you just alluded to, David, which I think is the most, was the biggest thing that made the difference for me, especially when it came to transition and away from a 17 year career into a new path that I honestly, I had no idea what it was going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Other than I knew that the path I was on, wasn't going to check the boxes on the fulfillment side of things for me. Right. The joy side, the happiness side, even to an extent, I'd be compromising on the opportunities for those, you know, if I maintain the path that I was on. And so, you know, looking at that and especially talking about the hero's journey, you know, often when they go through these trials and tribulations, you know, their lives are challenged, right. Or at least the way that they've operated at that point. Yeah. Significantly. Yeah. That's right. But they often feel a draw to come back to where it all started to now support others with going through that change or journey themselves. Mm. And I think it's that, that contribution piece, that value piece, that giving piece, Mm. 
that I think it's it's the one thing that, you know, in all the studies that they've done on gratitude and just this interesting thing around gratitude, right? Like is sure. that when you truly are feeling grateful for something, right? Like truly experiencing that sentiment fully and you're present mm-hmm. for it, there's no room for any other emotions. Wow. None. None. And I, and I would equate that joy is is very similar to gratitude. Right. It's a, in that yes. sense of fulfillment we get from it, right? Absolutely. And and so joy is really that sustained state I I find of gratitude. Amen. Right. Oh, and, that's really good. Yeah, and and so that's sort of the way I kind of reference it, or at least I try to position it for my own understanding. And you know, of course, everyone else is up to their own determination and whether or not that fits for the model that they're creating for themselves. But, and, and I think it, that's the beautiful thing is nothing's concrete to the point that, you know, I have to cross every T and dot every I, and I got to live life this way where I think that has been conditioned. I know it had been for me. Mm. I, I was under the belief I get a good job and I stay there. Right. Now, again, I'm 45 and I know the millennials have a very different perspective on this. Yeah. I was not a millennial. I, I missed that. And, and I, I remember watching my parents work in one career. My dad right. built his own business and he worked that business till the day he retired and sold it, you know, and had a good life because of it. And that's what I thought I was following those exact same path, you know, and uh, it wasn't until I started to question things like, ah, why do I want to do this? Oh, you know what? I'm actually doing this because I think it's what other people want me to do. It's not because I want to do it. Well, well and I think too, like if I, I think on the outside, most people probably would have been saying, man, you've really got the good life. You figured it out. You, you're right. <laughs> Right. Look, man, you get to party. You've got a great wife. You got these kids. You got a business. Things are going well. Um, And obviously you had one flaw in that program that probably kicked off a lot of other decisions. What are the so as you're going through this, I mean, I really like where this is headed because I think a lot of people have this right where they're like, no, things aren't horribly wrong in my life, but I just don't feel purpose. I don't I feel like I'm a cog in a machine or I'm doing this Mm. for somebody else. or I'm not doing it for myself anymore. Um. What are what, so? What are some of the questions that led you to the bigger? You know, okay. So alcohol. Let's just say that was like kind of sure. the starting point, right? That was almost to me. It almost sounds incidental to the rest of the things that happened. Tell us where the rest of your journey took you after that. Well, I, I guess as I mentioned, there's lots of questions, and yeah. I, I knew that this path I was going on. So it realizes I gave up the alcohol, and now I had to really get reconnected with me. Mm. my life as well mm. as the closest relationships to my life because yeah did i want to make some amends i did in certain instances i did i i i let everybody know that i'm i've made a commitment to go one year without drinking you know mm. some of my friends are like good luck with that <laughs> i'll tell you that right now they're they're not people i associate with I, I haven't seen those people for a decade now you know like and not by choice just sort of worked out that way i, I realized that the path i was getting on and this is the scariest part about change yeah you never just change one area. <laughs> like, sure. You, you don't. The change impacts everything else. And I guess I was kind of naive to that. I wasn't really expecting that. I was thinking, oh, I'll still have the same friends. I'll still have the same job. I'll still have all these other things. Because I I wasn't thinking I'd be switching careers at that point. Sure. I, I wasn't. I, I, to be honest with you, I just wasn't. That was you were just making one. You were just making yeah. one change at the time. Yeah. One change. But what happened was it just started to unravel. You know, I'd pull up that one string and then another string would be pulled out and then another one. And, and, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, that life can be very different than what it is right now. Right. Do I want that? And 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 the thing was, and, and to be perfectly transparent, David, like if my wife wasn't dripping into me, and when I mean dripping into me, she is someone that's always impassioned about travel. 
like she had the travel bug long before we got together, you know, and I actually, I was the pattern interrupt <laughs> from the standpoint. Uh, she ended up cutting a trip short to come back to Canada based on our few months that we had together. And then we picked up and, you know, we've been together ever since. But but that was, you know, in our early 20s, uh, we, we became committed to each other. And but it was me interrupting her travels, uh, her giving up travels to come and, and see what a life with me would be like. And she she made that commitment and that decision. And I respect that. You know, because in a way she was compromising some of her own dreams, right? To to, to support. Yeah, her. she was. I mean, she had stopped the the travel to be with yeah. you, and it yeah. sounds like maybe you started a family fairly soon. And, and we did within yeah. about eighteen months after that. We, yeah. we were pregnant with our first, and um, you know, we had kids young. Yeah, yep. it was a choice to do that, and um, you know, with that also came a lot of other challenges, as anybody who's a parent knows. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but but it was a decision that we wanted, and and. You know, so fast forward now, many years later, she starts dripping on me again. Mm. She starts talking, you know, there's families that travel the world together. There's these people called digital nomads. I'm like, digital what? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, because for me, I was running a brick and mortar company. I'm sure. like, I gotta be, you gotta yeah, show up. Yeah, yeah I can't yeah. not be here. Right. So for right. me, it was just a new concept. But fortunately for me, I had started blogging online before I even made this commitment around the alcohol. I just started to put content out to the world to help them, right? you know, especially in the health and well-being side of things, because I knew a lot about fitness. It's what my sweet spot is. It's what I loved. It's what helped me through my, you know, I was morbidly obese as a teenager and went through a big change as a teen. And, and, and so I, I got really excited to help others with those kind of changes. Wow. And, you know, so that's also why I got into the fitness equipment side of things, because it allowed me to do that, but also scale with it. You know, right. where as a trainer, you're limited by hours and uh, obviously reach. So that's another conversation. But um, so here it is, you know, many years later, just make this decision like, OK, I, I want to give up alcohol. I'm going to work on me for this next year. I want to really answer that question. What's it mean to be a great man to me? You know, a right. great father, a great husband, a great entrepreneur. What does that all mean? What does that look like? start acting as if and trust sure, that if I sure. do that, it will start to develop those new habits and beliefs in myself. And so I trusted a process. I got some help. After that year, I just realized I wanted to keep going down that path and eventually got to a point where I was like, you know, I, I want to experience the world a little bit differently. I know I want to be with my family. I know we want to travel the world with the kids. They still think we're cool. <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? There's that sort of stage that they go through where it's like, mm, not so they, sure. Yeah. They don't want to hang out with mom and dad. And, and I was like, okay, right. well, they're young enough now that I know they think we're cool still. So traveling now makes a great, it makes great sense, you know? And sure. so we started down that path, not really knowing what was going to look like. And, but we did trust in ourselves that we're very employable. <laughs> You run out of money or we run out of any income coming in through online means. Don't worry. We'll, we'll figure we something got, out. Well, we got family that loves us. They have couches. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we have a place so like, because you have to go through that sort of fear setting, right? That, that idea right. of like, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? No, I love yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and you know, I, I always credit Tim Ferriss for that. His TED Talk's great, where he talks about sort of stoicism, right, and and this process of rationalizing our fear. And and uh, you know, it's easier said than done. <laughs> Anyone that's tried to do that, it's like fear is a very uh, gut feel, and uh, to try to reason our way through it at times, it doesn't always go in plan. But right. it's worth the endeavor because as you become more and more clear on what the fear actually is coming from, and it's usually just based on an unknown. You know, sure. most of the time we're just afraid because we just don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Right. 
So you try to clear your mind and anticipate as much as you can. So there's less chance of surprise. And, and you'll notice that that fear response definitely decreases. It's still there. I mean, it's never goes away fully. Right. Like, I don't care if you're a Zen master, like it, there's still some fear there. You've just learned to manage it a little bit more effectively than most, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, no yeah. I mean, that's the same. Like if you think about like, you know, surfing big waves or skiing off oh. piste or a lot of the things that, you know, Great. can't actually kill you. A lot of people who do it well, um, you know, of course they have fear. It's the point that they've learned. You know, bravery isn't an absent of fear. Courage isn't an absent of fear. It's learning how to manage and, and, and harness fear, right? And, and do something with it rather than flee from it. Yes. And that's, I love that, you know, and, and especially I think the big wave analogy is a big one because that, uh, I, I mean, I, I lived in Bali. Uh, yeah. For a couple of years, um, I tried picking up surfing, but I, I'll tell you, I never got past that first break. <laughs> and in in Changu, or in yeah, the, in Changu, the sand break off Echo yeah. Beach, you know, that was the yeah. extent of it, and yeah. uh, which is still rather forgiving, being it's a sand break and and uh, it's a big stretch of beach, and there's a lot of other beginners on very big foam boards out there, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, th- that was my extent. But man, I admire those that had the fortitude and the talent and the skill, but also it, it was more of a mindset. I, I got to give it up for surfers. Their mindset is, I mean, it's incredible. Like I, my hat goes off to you, David, like for that kind of, it's a, it's a very, I mean, you want to be challenged. <laughs> well, Anybody, it's it, tough. It's yeah. Tough. But, and I think, you know, I mean, this is, I was talking about this with another person, the, um, you know, I, I do like surfing bigger waves. I'm in my fifties now, so I don't yeah. go quite as big as I used to, but you know, there's a, there's a shift from surfing big waves to surfing like mountains. And, and that's a different thing. Um, you know, second reef sunset beach is a lot different than, you know, big waves in California or, well, at least in Southern California, or, you know, some of the waves that you, that you can run into in the world, like here in the boss coast. But um, I, I love joking about the fact, one of the things that I had to fall in love with was this idea that when you're about to, what you have to figure out is how to shed that fear. Cause it does not help yes. you when you're out there. Right. And so the right. thing that you have to, when a big wave's about to come down on you and you're about to just get pounded into oblivion, that sort of the thing that, like one of the things I do is I, I there's um, one of my favorite songs is um, Immigrant Song by Van Ham, by, uh, by Led Zeppelin, yeah, right? Led Zeppelin, yeah, great. And uh, they have a line in there, Valhalla, I'm coming to you. And uh, whenever there's a huge wave about, you know, about to crush me, I'll just, I just start laughing and I start singing that and I take a big no. breath and then it's just, you know, it's oh. just, you know, and then of course you come back up and hopefully there aren't 10 more behind it, but you, you know, you kind of, you navigate it, you figure out how to get through it and you're not, you're not uh, living in fear. You're living, you've, you've accepted the fear. You've identified the fear, you've yeah. managed the fear. And now you're in, you're managing the situation. Um, and it happens in all different ways in life. Right. Um, it does, but I'll tell you, after my little brief stint with surfing, I'm like, I've yet to encounter something else. Uh, well, almost. Okay. And, and I'm only bringing this up because uh, a, a few months ago, I, I took on something that I, I feel has been the most intimidating, most stressful thing I've ever done. Yeah. I what did stand-up comedy. Oh, oh man. <laughs> and I'm jealous. I'm yeah. David, give me the big waves, okay? <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't ridicule you intentionally. Right? Uh, yeah. That's right. I know where they stand. <laughs> and uh, and um, because I, I set it up, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this course. And at the end of the course, you, you, you do a showcase where you get to now do your five-minute set in front of a live audience. And we had 150 people there. Wow. Oh, I'll tell you, David, that, that was the most fearful thing. Oh, it's actually the, the most amount of fear I'd felt in a long time. 
And, sure. uh, I'm, and I'm all about trying new things and pushing myself way outside that comfort zone. And, uh, you know, some people might think I'm a bit masochist that way, but uh, <laughs> it's always within a safe place. I've rationalized. What's the worst going to happen on the stage? Well, I don't get any laughs. That's the worst. And then I'm like, okay. I tried, you know, but um, I knew I wasn't going to die up there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. So, so big waves. I, I, you know, I'm not trying to put them on the same stage, but I'll tell you that. No, no, it's fear response. I had definitely felt very real. It's you know? it's really similar. I think you know this is something that that um, you know that that you hear from a lot of people. But uh, um, eat, pray, love. Liz uh, Liz Gilbert says this. She says, you know, um, when it comes to you know, to fear, it's your body trying to help you, right? Your body's saying, Hey, be careful. Don't die. This could hurt you. Watch out. And part of the awareness, I think, is just being able to say, Oh yeah, that's fear. Thank you, body. Thank you. You know, you're trying to help me. You're trying to protect me. Thank you, fear. I don't need you right now. So I'm going to put you over here. I appreciate what you're trying to do. Don't need it. Now I got to go do this thing. And I think at least when you have, hey, are you still scared? Of course you are. You know, it's the same skiing whistler. If you go out on some of those back bowls off black home, it's like you pucker up, man, you know, but it's like. You better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, that's half the fun. I mean, to me, that's yeah. half the fun is, is, and you know, you don't go from bunny hills to, to, you know, to diamond bowl or ruby bowl. You start in, you know, you kind of work your way up, you expand that comfort zone, but to me, like one of the things we used to say with, with my previous company, we were always talking about the lifestyle of adventure, the lifestyle of, of actual, you know, expansion of your life of progress. And, and it it's about scaring. It, I'd borrow this from Laird Hamilton, scaring yourself a little bit every day. Right. How do I expand that that comfort zone where I'm stepping a little further out? Hey, I'm not I'm not ready to go on stage and do five minutes. of, <laughs> But you did a class that prepared you. You, you, you right. did the work. And then there's a point where you're like, OK scary, but I can do five minutes. I did the work. I'm ready. I'm prepared. So they might not like it all. It's okay. Nobody likes anybody's five minutes. You're not alone. You're not special, right? Every comedian goes through this. It's that's, That's but that's the process. That's the process. And I I love that you say the process, right? Like I, I truly believe, you know, passion and process, can awful well or is it more purpose i i, I know that we can talk about all these p's right passion mm. purpose process and mm. uh I, I often think that the passion and the purpose have to be really clear you know like or at least you know what you have passion for you feel on purpose you know you feel mm. clear of meaning because then it's just a matter of following a process right and the, this is the cool thing this is the how-to part and I, I often i just try to find others that know how to do it <laughs> you know i'm like you already did this so can you just show me a little bit of how you did that so i can now do it because I, I have the passion i definitely want to go this direction it's also right. in alignment with my purpose so I, I i can be a lot more confident that i'm making the best decision i can in the moment you know yeah. and i don't have to know how to do everything i don't I, I know how to do very little, actually, <laughs> but I've just been very good at connecting with people. I know a lot more on the how to's for the things where I needed help. Well, and, and they probably didn't know it either. Right. I mean, that's, that's half the mystery is everyone, you know, I remember my kids at one point, they're like, well, you did all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I was scared half the time and I failed a bunch. And, you know, mm. we went through a bankruptcy when they were too young to remember. Oh. I was like, you know, it, it, and it wasn't, you know, it's just, everything didn't go perfectly, but I, if you don't take the risk, you don't get the reward. That's how you learn. That's right. Right. So yes. when you're, so when you're coaching people, when people come to you and they're, they're saying, Hey, you know, I, I don't want to be a slave to this good life anymore. I want to start making steps. I, maybe I don't want to take a leap. Maybe I don't want to move to Bali tomorrow or quit my job. Mm. What are the, what's the process? What are the, how do you help them think about it? 
Well, here's the thing. I, I think it sort of boils down to a few questions. And I think yeah. it's a great way for us to even end this conversation. You know, like think about change. Like change is, it happens whether we like it or not. Yeah. I mean, it's a given. Uh, it's the only thing that we know to be absolutely certain in our life, you know, is that nothing stays as it is. Right. Or, that's, that's, I think as long as you can come to that point and accept that as a truth, yeah. you become more receptive to change. And because right. and, and, I really like to invite people to be more of a champion of change in their life rather than feeling like a victim of change. Right. But to do that, we need clarity. Because clarity breeds confidence. And when we feel confident, we can take decisive action. And so here's the thing. To help with the clarity and the confidence, there's three questions that no matter what kind of change you want to go through, these are the three questions you want to ask yourself. Yep. Number one, can I do this? <laughs> you know, like, can I, you know, this thing, like, if I think about me, like giving up alcohol 12 years ago, right? Like, can I, can I actually do this? Can I give up alcohol for a year? Right. You know, when I start to think about it, I'm like, well, why can't I? What's holding me back? What's preventing me from doing that? So you start to think about all the things that either could or couldn't, you know, either support you or take you away from that. And and as I started to reason through, I'm like, well, yeah, I, I know I can do this. I'm a capable person. Yeah, I, I, I can, can say this. no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you have to get to a yes on that first question. Can I do this? And, and it often relies on education. Right. You know, because also in times, like I think when I was morbidly obese as a teen, I'm like, geez, can I lose this 80 pounds? Can I? Like, I don't know. Like, and at that point, I really didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. But what I did have confidence is, is that I can learn. Right. And I found books and I found literature and I found proof of others that have done similar things. So I'm like, yeah, I can do this too. You know, because once you get a yes to the first one, you move to question two. If I do this, will it work? Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Because we kind of want that assuredness to a certain level, right? Like we, we I think so much of us have, are used to failing. It becomes so normal. You know, yeah. and, and normalizing failure, I, get, I know that even sounds weird to say, but if we're used to failing more than mm. we are winning, it's easy to stay caught up in that sort of mindset, right? It's right. also easy to say, you know, why even start? I'm probably just going to fail. And I see a lot of this in the health space, okay? A lot in the health space, more on the healthy mindset, because yeah, a lot of people have tried to make health changes and have regressed backwards. So they, there's this constant feeling like, why do I even bother? I'm just going to you know, get some results and I'm going to lose it. And I'll be right back where I started, you know, or worse. Right. And it's awful to get to that place. Right. So I want to invite people to really sit on the first part about education. But the number two is they can, if I do this, will it work? And because nine times out of 10, you know, it will, there's a proof of other people that have done it. There is systems right. or a process through which you can follow. Right. So you have to get yes and a yes, right? Can I do yeah. this? Yes. If I do this, will it work? Yes. Now question three, is it worth it? <laughs> and, um, and that's great. Like if I'm talking like organizations, right? Or I'm talking to a group and I'm doing some leadership training, I might use the term it. But hmm. when I'm actually talking to individuals and I'm, there's someone listening and watching this right now that's thinking, I want to use these questions for a change that I want to make. I want you to phrase this question. Am I worth it? Am I worth it? Wow. Yeah. That's a now great, that, that's a great that, rephrasing. That's becomes tough, personal. Yeah. And yeah. But it's also, it's not easy to answer. No, no, not easy to answer. And, and, you know, I think that when I gave up the alcohol initially, it, I didn't believe I was worth it. Mm. But fortunately for me, those two little girls, especially my eldest, those Coke bottle glasses looking up at me, uh, you know, if she could answer that question, she would have told me daddy's worth it. Well, well I think to your point, you like, know? The way that you phrased the, the first step in the AA program, you know, being 
you know, giving up, how do you phrase it? It's the, uh, you know, that, that you're powerless, that, that you're powerless. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the other one is believing in something bigger than yourself. Right. Yes. And I think yeah. to your point, you know, it wasn't a question of were you a good husband? It was a question of, would you want your daughters? Your wife was really wise. Christy was really wise with this. Would your, would your, would, would you be happy if your daughters was married, were married, married to somebody behaving the way you were? Cause that sure. took it off you and her and put it onto a third party and something that you both believed in more than yourselves, which are your kids. Um, I, I think anyways, from what I'm reading yeah. into all. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're right, David. I appreciate that. And, and that clarity there too, you know, cause it, it is like, am I worth it? If you're not hundred percent confident on that answer that you're giving, that just means there's more work to be explored, you know, right, to, right. more things to discover about yourself. And that's sort of how I ended up looking at it. It's like, well, I, I clearly don't know myself well enough to be able to own this answer. Hmm. Like, I don't truly believe am I worth it? And I'm like, well, why do I? Like, I would, if anybody else told me that this was a change they wanted to make, I would have been the first guy there to be their cheerleader and support them. Why am I not willing to support myself? And, and this is where things really came into perspective for me. I'm like, I'm so quick to want to help others. And I would do that before I would help myself. Right. And in, in a way, it was also my way of escaping the commitment to myself or the change that I wanted to make, you know, like, so I was using that. And I, I see a lot of people do this. You know, I see parents do this a lot. They'll put their needs of their kids before their own to the point that their health deteriorates mm. and mental health, especially, right. You know, and the physical health follows and, and the two are often in conjunction, you know, they run simultaneously together. And, <clears throat> and then, you know, I, I remember I'd have these conversations with these parents. I did a survey many years ago and I asked a, a question, you know, and, and the question was like, it basically it allowed them to communicate what was the biggest thing holding them back from living a healthy life, you know, and, and there was some qualification to what that could look like. And their answer, though, the number one thing that was holding them back was commitments to my kids, mm. uh, like little Timmy to soccer, Susie to piano, you know, like whatever. And but they would say that the reason why I can't maintain health for myself is because of my kids. That's what's being implied. That's what we're saying to our kids. Right. It's like, you, you know, Susie, um, oh, my free time. Not healthier, but we have to look after you. Like, yeah, yeah. What is that role modeling, right? And, and you know, I was, I, I remember opening it up with it. I wrote an article about this after the fact and I shared it with people, filled out the survey. And, and all of a sudden, a lot of them were like, oh, I do imply that. I'm using my kids as a crutch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so we all have crutches. We all do. It's just, of course. what is the flavor of the month, right? <laughs> and, and what are we using? But at the end of the day, we have to take total ownership for ourselves. And, and that's really what that question, am I worth it? It's going to be very clarifying around, right? And, and if you get through the three questions, you get yes, yes, yes. There might be a fourth one. And it's like, who do I need around me to support you? I was going to ask you, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I think a yeah. lot of people can answer these three, but I don't think a lot of people have your self-determination. You know, 10% of people are self-starters. The rest of us need somebody else to help us. I needed help. I, yeah. I'll be first to say that I needed the help too. And that's why yeah. I say there's kind of a follow-up to that where it is a fourth question. You know, it's like, who do I have to get around or who do I have to need to be around to, to support me with this? And, right. and, and that's where community is really important. That's also where I realized I didn't have a community to support me and I had to go find one or make one. Right. And so notice I said, make one. Like, Yeah, I was going to say, so how did you do that? Yeah, because yeah, you probably didn't find a... Social. Online is yeah. a great way to do it. You know, yeah. like I, I remember putting out there, I put out like a health challenge as a way to help others, but also help myself. Mm. It was going to give me something to focus on a way of serving others while I was also in turn trying to serve myself and, and it made me feel good. And so I remember launching a challenge online and that's what it started as a 30 day challenge. And, and then it sort of went into, you know, started to build a community around that. 
I started right. to host Sunday fun day get togethers, you know, where every Sunday morning I would open up one of my retail stores where we had a training facility in the back and I'd open it up for free classes. I'd invite people to come in, you know, we we'd get upwards of a hundred people every Sunday morning coming wow. out to do fitness together, you know, and, sure. and it's all community based, body weight based. And you can imagine my business partners at the time didn't like this because I wasn't using any equipment in my sessions. I was often training people how to use their body first. Right, 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 right. Because that was my belief. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather get an expensive pair of shoes and buy a treadmill. Sure. Well, yeah. You know, like if you learn how to get outside and walk and enjoy that activity, it doesn't matter what you put in your home, you'll still enjoy it and you'll probably use it. But if you don't like walking or getting, you know, like oh, totally. Why buy a four thousand dollar machine? You know, well, I was just going to say that. I didn't like this at all. <laughs> no, well, but, but also you start to discover those things by doing those actions, right? You actually cr- yeah. create a more robust community that comes to your store more often, and that also yes. you might change some of your inventory because you're serving diff- different needs. Yeah. But I, but I think that's that's a huge component, and, and you also get more loyalty because you're actually adding value to people, not just selling them a product. That's right. Um, and, and it's what ultimately gave me the confidence that I, when I was deciding and those feelings I had about switching careers or moving into a different way of helping people and, and being remunerated for it, I had more confidence that I could do it because I had already started to do this, but without any um, ties to having to monetize. Right. You, you know, like, and, and I thought, I think, and I want to let that be known that th- that was important for me. You know, I needed to do something where it wasn't tied to income. It was only right. tied to impact. Right. And what ended up happening later was I've just always in the last six years been chasing impact. And the craziest thing, the income keeps going up. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I just, I'm saying this because it's just, you know, the more people I try to serve and, and more ways that I show up to do that, I, you know, givers gain, as they say, right? Like you know, the, the, the income becomes an outcome. I mean, I think that's it really that's is. Yes. When, when you're truly adding deep value, some of the things you can't monetize, but, but mon- the, people will exchange value with you when you're adding value, real value to their life, real tangible value that they can identify. And, um, and then, you know, by the way, there's more tools than ever before to figure out how to do that now, right. Between Patreon and I mean, just a million different ways to start something, whether it's a service or a product. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. It doesn't take much to do it. Does it like even just, I mean, that's why I love crowdsourcing platforms, right? Like what a wonderful way to take an idea and, you know, through that ideation process, invite others that, believe in the idea and the vision and right. they want to participate in that process to bring it to market. I mean, like what a cool thing, you know, like it's it, like it, a, perm- yeah, it's like a focus group to give you a yeah. business. It's amazing. Yeah. It's I, I absolutely love it. amazing. I love it. And I think it says a lot about just humanity and our natural resiliency and, you know, my climate change friends say we're too resilient as a species, but uh, you know that's another debate. But um, regardless, a, it is in our DNA. And I know you said that earlier. And, and really, resiliency is in our DNA. And I think sometimes we forget about that, you know? No, for sure. I, I love the book Sapien, which is, you know, I don't know if you've read that recently. I haven't read that yet. No. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great book. It's a, it happens to be a bestseller. It's, it's in a graphic novel, even. But it's all about the, you know, how Homo sapiens became the dominant species on the planet. And it's it's fueled by great social anthropology. But it's, you know, we weren't the only, I'm supposed to use, I don't don't know if we can use it or not. But, you know, we we weren't the only homos walking around. There were, you know, there were Neanderthals, there were um, Homo erectus, there were Homo sapiens. And the, um, you know, the the funny thing is we ended up being the dominant species. And, And every continent that we've, every time we've landed on a continent within a very short period of time, almost every other major species gets wiped out, um, which isn't, which isn't great in a lot of ways, but the, um, 
but it, but you're, but we have adapted and dominated for whatever reason. And I think part of it, it what, what they point to there, and this is really interesting. You know, our brains got big and um, we were that we were able to tell stories that were bigger than just describing what was around us. And that right. those stories, those myths, like in, in the Joseph Campbell series, um, those truths that were bigger than all of us allowed us to organize ourselves instead of in packs of 50 or a hundred, like Homo erectus or Homo or the Neanderthals into groups of thousands. And if you go to a soccer game or a football game or pick your favorite, you know, rock and roll show, you know, you'll see tens of thousands of people show up or hundreds of thousands or millions, you know, countries, right. nations um, around an idea. None of those things are real. It's all, you know, I mean, the band's real, but the idea of the band is what we're really going for, right? Or the That's right. the country has imaginary borders, some of which are being fought over today. But, um, but you know, what does it mean to be a Ukrainian versus a Russian versus a United States mm. citizen versus a Canadian? And I think the more you travel, the more you realize those are those are really sort of manufactured ideas yeah. that are yeah. we've I, we've adapted, right? I consider myself an American, although I also consider myself sort of a global citizen. Yes. Um, you're a Canadian, but I think you probably identify in a broader way as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then that's, I think that's, but that's kind of the curious thing that there's these bigger stories that we've adapted and identified with that allow us to organize and do things we'd never be able to do by ourselves. Um, and it's getting control of those stories that allows us to change our lives and go on our own path of bliss, as you said. Yes, yes. Well, I love that idea about the narrative because also at any given time is an opportunity to start a fresh page and start a new narrative, right? And, and I think that's where we've really seen, you know, both the, the pros and the cons of social media, right? Mm. Like it, it is a wonderful tool to create a movement around, to, mm. to educate the masses. But, you know, then we have to just wonder about disinformation and, and, and where's the sources. So I, I realize we're on an interesting period in life, you know, just in, in our development as a species. And, but it's exciting, but it's also, you know, there's a lot of fear to be had there too, right? Like, and, and I get that. I get that. And, uh, but I, I'm always going to err on the side of resiliency and, and that humans are just naturally good people. Yeah. You Use know? the power really, for good. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes, yeah. please. You know, and, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Right. I mean, that's a whole nother gosh, uh, conversation, but man, I, I've loved talking to you today, David, this has been just a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you. It's, it's been wonderful. And, and so if I know that you do a lot of coaching, you help people break through these barriers in their life, you help them, restart break the break the past move to the future yeah. how do people reach you if they want to they want to get in touch with you yeah i always uh will default to social media sure. you know, I, i'm most active on instagram facebook and linkedin okay so I, I find that between those three platforms pretty much everybody that i'll ever connect with will be on at least one of those and uh i was just say if, if you can type my name in or at least anything close to it d-a-i <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and then manuel m-e-n-u-e-l as soon as you get the spelling close the, those platforms are used to auto-correcting people now <laughs> and uh you'll find me and i'm the only one with that name so it's it's really nice to have that uh being so unencumbered because it just it made it easy to lock down my name on all these platforms, but even my, my website's just diamondwell.com. There's about 1900 articles and counting that I've been writing on there for 14 years, all geared around helping people with just living their best life. And, awesome. uh, I, I always invite people to dive in there too. And, but just reach out, just say, Hey, I heard you and David talk and I loved what you said this, or this is my belief on this. And I just, I love connecting with people. So That's awesome. uh, just reach out anytime, you know, anytime at all. 
we'll put those links in the notes on this podcast and um, we'll make sure I'll make sure we, uh, we, we tag you and everything and that we post as we, as we launch this, but uh, really appreciate your time today, Di. And uh, the next, I think we'll probably have some future conversations because this was a good one. It just feels like we just started something. I know, <laughs> um, but it's really good. And I hope to see you next time I'm in Vancouver. Really oh, appreciate man. it. I, I count on it. And uh, thank you, David, for the, for the opportunity, but also thank you for putting this type of content out to the world. You know, I, I really feel that we need more people like yourself contributing this kind of content and, and engaging in these types of conversations. Cause it, it's, I think back to my own changes and I'm so grateful that there was people creating this kind of content when I needed it, you know? And uh, so thank you for shining that light in what's otherwise known as a very dark crevice <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that we all know is there. It's just, sure. sometimes we're not ready to go exploring yet, and, yeah. uh, but your conversations make it easy to go explore. So, so thanks for that. You know? No, I appreciate the time and appreciate the conversation and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you for joining another episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Ass